0: Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.
1: shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare!
2: of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he, Jesus, said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand, are at my left hand, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognized their rulers, their rulers, lauded over them, of them, but it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you, you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life. For many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Thank to God.
3: This is the sweet reading for this morning, the Arcana Celestia, section 6393. There are some who do not do what is good from the affection of good, thus, not from freedom, but from the affection of self.
0: Please be seated. Mega millions, 1.6 billion, is that right? Powerball is up to like $450 million. That means this week you, you have a chance... Of uh, of winning two billion dollars. Don't take my thunder. (laughs) Three hundred million to one. That's the next line. Three hundred million to one. If you're over the age of sixty, your chances of death in the next week are twenty five thousand to one. My question is, what have you done to plan to win your $2 billion? I'm, I'm assuming people have gotten together. I know some people who say, well, I only play the lottery when the pot is really big. Because it's not really worth winning a mere $20 million, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> come on, it's not worth it. You know, there are people who professionally play the lottery. I mean, they research it and they study it. Do you know what pots they don't play? The biggest ones. Because your odds of winning are worse for the big pots than the lower pots. By the way, if you're not over the age of 60, it's like 250,000 to one that you will die this week. Um, but this still means that it is, like six. I, I can't even do the math in my head. It is considerably more likely that tragedy will befall you than you will win the lottery. I have a question. What what have you done to prepare for any of those things? I will say one of the greatest gifts my father gave me, before he died, was to make sure that he had planned all of his funeral arrangements. All we had to do was activate the team, and everything just happened. The family was left with no stress of needing to figure out who, what, why, when, where. Everything was taken care of. He was in a much higher likelihood when he did the planning. He realized he would probably be dead within the year because he had terminal cancer. But he knew the probability was coming, and he took action, and he did something. What was was funny is, you know, I never heard him ask God to save him. I heard him ask God to help him face his life. I heard him ask God to help him help his family face what's going to happen. I never heard him ask God to magically take away the cancer. When you think about it, winning the lottery is kind of like saying, hey, God, can you take away my financial problems? What we are willing to do in order to get our great windfall, which, by the way, when I say we, I'm not saying we because I I don't play the lottery. It's a tax on people who can't do math. I think I railed about this before but the vast majority of lottery players are people who actually can't afford to play the lottery. And it's a great way that your state and local governments can fill their coffers with a tax that you willingly want to pay under the guise that you get something for it. But that's beside the point. That's just me rallying against the lottery. Um, Rich people gamble too, by the way. They call it the stock market. Well, no, but seriously. they call it the stock market. they gamble. there's a chance of loss. But you know what the stock market is versus the lottery? It's educated risk. You have people doing things, producing things, creating things, and they're saying, "I'm willing to put my money in the risk of something that's actually happening in order to make it so I can increase that wealth." It's gambling. 60 years ago, 70 years ago, the stock market was something a church tended to not to invest in because it was viewed as gambling and gambling was bad. But now it's not gambling, it's, it's investing. But you see, it's investing with an understanding of something. It's gambling, but you're gambling on something that's real, not a glorified ping pong ball right? I've watched the Mega Millions drawing once or twice, right? It's a glorified ping pong ball, right? Am I right on that? They paint a ping pong ball, shove it into a thing, and we'll see what blows out. What have you asked for? What do you ask God for? Do you ask God to do magic in your life? You see, this is my thing. Whenever I hear a prayer, and I can substitute the word magic for God, I begin to question the sincerity of the prayer. What have you asked God for? Job is having a horrible go of it. Job is having a really bad life. He's lost his fortune. His family's now in poverty. He is really struggling with why is God doing this for him. He talks to God, and God basically says, do you make the sun come up or down? Do you understand all of creation? He's basically telling Job, you need to have a little respect for who God is. I think this is a really dysfunctional relationship of love, by the way. I want to be clear on that. I think God is not very nice in the story of Job. It is not a book in the Bible that I think exists to tell us that we should be abused by God and walk around and be happy about it. Job is certainly not happy about it. I like much better this question when the disciples ask the Lord, Lord, can I sit on one side and my brother sit on the other side. Now, I want to rest I want people to know for the disciples had other places to sit. Okay, the Bible not the Bible doesn't really actually talk about this that there were probably other chairs there. Right, there's a context. We all understand the context, right? We don't need a Bible that actually goes into the academic concept of what it means to sit on either side of God. We know that when there was a king, the ruler always had people who sat on either side of them to whisper in their ear or for that person to give counsel with that position, right? With that position, it was not just a comfy chair at the front of the room. It was not just meals. It was you were a mover and shaker. You were a person who had direct access to the king. You were a person who could command vast sums of the kingdom's resources because you got to sit next to the king. This is what the disciples were being asked for in the other ten. Oh, my gosh, they were were getting kind of exercised about it, weren't they? You can't sit there. We don't want you sitting there. We want to sit there. Come on. Much like the people who got paid the full day's wage for working were upset about the people who came at the end of the day getting the same amount of money. Everybody in this story was upset because they wanted the glory, they wanted the position. But Jesus said something very interesting. Jesus said, I think I saw it somewhere written in big letters here, It is not mine to grant. Well, if we take Jesus as being God on earth, how could God not grant that simple request? God has the ability to grant that. God has the ability, if you take the notion of God, to pretty much do whatever God wants to do, right? I think so. His response was, are you willing to drink the cup and to be baptized with what I am willing to do? And disciples said, of course we are. I don't think the disciples knew what they were signing up for. At that, I'm just saying, I don't think they were fully aware. I don't think they researched their investment opportunities at that point. They said they were willing to do that. And then after they said they were willing to do that, he then reiterated, it is not mine to grant. So they just said, we'll do anything you want. And he said, I'm still not going to give you that. This story is a story that when I read it is about agency. It's about the fact that if we want to experience something, if we want to have something, we can't be given what we don't do. Does that make sense? One, it, think about it. It's like a, a first grader praying to God to do their math homework and then wonders why they don't understand how to do math. It's like someone who has to read a book for class and said, just sits there all night, God, please, please let me know what's in this book. I really need this. Please let me know it. It's like me saying, I would really like to go to Florida tomorrow. By the way, I don't really want to go to Florida tomorrow. Like Florida's one of those states. It has fire ants. It's flat. Don't like don't like it's swampy. You don't even know if the flatness you're stepping on is ground. Not a Florida fan. But it's like me saying, I want to go to Florida, I just don't want to take the trip. It doesn't happen. So here's my thing. A lot of people play the lottery, and I'm guessing this is the reason why. You have to tell me if I'm wrong. A lot of people play the lottery because they think that winning money will make them happy. Right? The people who are generally content and happy just don't buy lottery tickets because they don't have that need. That's what, that's what I'm guessing. I don't really know because I'm not a, a part of, of that world. My... Um, my mother had a friend who we didn't know until he died was a priest. He left the priesthood to run his family business which was a grocery store chain. He ended up selling his grocery store chain to one of the bigger chains and he retired with something along the lines of 350 to 400 million dollars. Yeah. He moved down to the Virgin Islands, right, this is the the picturesque villa overlooking the ocean. You have stables. You have people who come in. He was the guy that everyone went to when they wanted to fund their nonprofit group. He would host a party and all of the people would come. And you know what his life was like? he had no clue who his friends were no concept now my mom befriended him at one point and they got off to a rocky start because every time that my mother went she would always bring something she would always bring some food with her and he would say basically i am i am wealthy i am provo- i am providing the food i don't need your food I have everything that I need, and all my guests will get everything that they need. I don't need your food. Why are you bringing it to me? And her response was, because when I go somewhere, I want to participate. Because my cooking is about my engagement in what's happening, not about fulfilling your need. She did this over and over again to the point that the two of them eventually became very good friends because he actually started eating her food and really liked it. (laughs) He loved the gourmet stuff. He had a complete gourmet kitchen. Then they started cooking together. And he'd say, why don't you come over? We're going to cook this thing. She said, great, what can I bring? You don't need to bring anything. And she'd say, I need to bring something. Now, my mother was living on disability. She didn't necessarily have Anywhere near the amount of assets that he had. But do you know what she wanted to say? I am invested in what we are doing together. To the point that the two of them actually started taking trips. And he kept saying, I'll, t- I'll pay for you this time, Polly. I'll pay for you this time. And she would say, no, that's okay. If I want to go, I need to be able to pay for it. There is an old adage in the volunteer community. I'm sure that some of you have heard this before. You get into it, wait, you get out of it what you put into it. You know what? They've done some psychological research. They've done science, and I like science. I'm one of those science people. Do you know what they've found? You get more out of it than you put into it. They have actually done neurological testing, scanning the brain. I love people who scan brains. I'll tell you this. I love brain scans. They have found that people who want to give have a better time at events and things than the people who don't. One person said, it is important to be otherish. I was like, what? What? They're trying to decide to make a term that's opposite selfish. Otherish. I like it. I'm otherish. I thought it was a cute thing. Which is defined as being willing to give more than you receive. That doesn't mean that you don't receive, it means that you're investing in what you're doing with more than you get. The brain research shows that people who do this are, generally speaking, happier people. They are people who get more out of the experiences around them. They live more fulfilled. They live longer. Do you remember, what did you, you're more likely to die than to win the lottery. But I am sure there's at least one person in this room who has purchased lottery tickets thinking, What's the great word? You don't win if you don't play. Right? That's the big one. You're willing to spend your money and your time. Like if there's a door to door lottery ticket salesman and I had $2 sitting around, would I play? I don't know. Maybe I would. I'm just not willing to actually go to a place, learn how to understand, to fill in the bubbles. Like there's stuff that's involved in doing this. And how to fill in the bubbles that gives me a better probability of like only one in 200 million. But there's effort that people put into doing these things. What effort do you take in actually being happy? And understanding what happiness is. And understanding what it means to be fulfilled and loving. The research is out there. It is, in, it is conclusive that there are things that you can do that make you happy. On the list, finding a passion, something you care about, and living into that passion. Give your time to other people instead of yourself. The people who don't give time to other people tend to be more unhappy. I have a video game issue. It's true, I like video games. Well, you know what? I can feel that when I've wasted an hour of video games. Versus the happiness and the thoughts I have about making lemonade in the middle of winter, which you're not supposed to do, right? Lemonade's a summer drink. But I made lemonade with my daughter, and it was fun. I helped paint my son's pumpkin, and it was fun. I have memories of those things working with others that are much more memorable than any minute that I have spent playing a video game. So giving your time to others. Giving to organizations. Now this giving is certainly financial, but can also be time commitment. Because it's about working with others, it's actually about you uniting your passion with other people who have a similar passion, and that unity not only gives you friends and connections, but also changes the world and helps your passion find its meaning. And that is a meaning that helps you sleep better at night. It is a meaning that makes you happier. It is being proactive and not reactive. There are people who give, this is a funny thing, there are people who give only when they're asked. And what they found is that people who give only when they are asked to give are less happy than people who make a lifelong practice of giving. You see, when you are asked, you're you're giving out of guilt, or sorrow, or shame. But when you make a practice to give to other people, you're constantly looking for ways and things that transform the world. It it has incredible benefits. Or you could buy two tickets and wait for the drawing and see what your chances are of being happy. I'm guessing your chance of being happy is one in 300 million. Some people have said that they sometimes get confused because Swedenborg wrote in Latin 300 years ago. And they don't always understand what Swedenborg has to say. I'm going to read the Swedenborg reading in Kevin words. Okay. There are some who do do not do what is good because they really love what they are doing. And loving what you do is freedom, right? So these people are acting in opposition to freedom. They are doing it because the world is controlling them. They do these things because of an affection for self. Those who desire a reward for the works they perform, those those who do things and want to get stuff from what they do, are never happy. Because they always question the reward, even more so if they see someone and are jealous of what the other person has. They are never happy with what they get. They never receive contentment. Because what they want is to have power over the people who are around them, even God. Heavenly happiness consists not in receiving, but in giving. This is the reason why the Lord looked at his disciples and said that it was not his to grant. Because God could not make them be servants. Only their actions and their love for one another could do that. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.